It is so good to gather together and worship the Lord. I mean, you don't know what you have until it's gone, right? And over this time of um, COVID-19 and quarantine and all that other stuff, um, man, I've really missed it. This, my heart is really heavy, too, because about almost probably a third, if not more, of our congregation aren't here. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of young families that have you know, toddlers that would be really hard to wrangle, you know, through a, a one-hour service, and, and um, they're watching online. Uh, we miss you, and we love you, and we can't wait till we can gather again together. Uh, just kind of an update um, on our phased plan. We're in phase one of COVID-19 for Mission View Church. We have a three-phase plan. If you're not familiar with that, you can check it out online on our website, but uh, we're in phase one. And um, tomorrow I'll be meeting with the elders. We're going to have a discussion on timing to move to phase two. Uh, just so you know, phase two isn't much different than phase one. We're kind of taking baby steps as we move forward. And one of the big differences in, from, phase two to, from phase one to phase two is that we're going to be adding in uh, elementary school um, groupings uh, for some of the younger kids. So the elementary kids will have um, reservations for um, a very different looking kids church. So um, I would ask that you would be praying for the leadership and the elders as we make these decisions. We want to be wise as we move forward and, and we want to do uh, the, best, the best things we can do moving forward with that. So, well, we are in our second week of um, Soulmate, our new series. We're talking about marriage and relationships and different things. This week, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians. We're going to be talking about repentance and forgiveness like, um, like you've heard about already this morning. But um, as I was thinking about this, we, we are in not just a crazy time of pandemic, but a crazy time of racial tension and riots and protests and different things going on in our world. Um, even large denominations are having uh, hard conversations and turmoil within denominations as they talk about how we move forward with racial tensions and how we move forward doing church in a pandemic. And is our pandemics here to stay? What's church going to look like long term? What does what does, uh, you know, dismantling police departments in parts of our country, what does that look like? Why would we do that? What's, what's going on with all this? And as I was thinking about the sermon series this morning, I know we're in a marriage series, but um, repentance and forgiveness is something that the church has to offer our communities and offer our people. Now, here's what I know. There is no way that we can put things in place that will change the hearts of people. You can't, you can't have a government put things into place that's going to change the hearts of men and women. There's only one who can change hearts, and that is God. God is the only one who can, can really get into the, the depths of who we are and shift our paradigm. And he's the only one who can deal with sin and give hope for a future. So as we fight for justice, and as we see you know, our leaders and our country leaders put things into place, one of the things that we have to do is be on our knees in prayer. 
And one of the things that we need to do is speak the truth and speak out for justice and speak out for what is right when we have the opportunity. That is our responsibility. But above any of that stuff, the the main thing we have to do is speak up with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. Because the good news, Jesus is the only one who has the answers for the struggles and the difficulties and the just terrible things that we're seeing go on in our world today. That's what we believe and that's what we know. So above anything, we have to share the gospel, not just with our words, but with how we act and what we say. So I, I, you know, I'm, I, am, I am not ignoring what's going on um, in our community and in our country. I am well aware I, I have a lot of time to study and see what's going on. You're probably not going to hear me give a sermon series on it like I noticed a lot of churches are doing because I really believe there's something deeper going on that God's doing. And we'll talk about it as it comes up in Scripture and as we look at it. And I think today is a perfect picture of that, that, that God's going to speak to us through his word. We'll apply it to the current culture that we live in, and God's going to use that for his glory. So um, as we're talking today, I know we're talking about marriage, but I think this goes so much deeper than marriage. And it's going to reach our relationships, and it's going to reach even relationships outside of our home, relationship with coworkers, relationship uh, with bosses and different things. And so this is, I don't think this could be any more timely. God had this for us today. Let's pray before we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereignty, your power, your all-knowingness, your omniscience, your omnipotence. God, that we, we thank you that you are never surprised that you weren't surprised by coronavirus, that you weren't surprised about racial tensions, and you aren't surprised about the struggles that we have walking through this time. Father, what we would pray is is we would pray that you would open our eyes, that you would uh, deepen our faith, that you would show us how we can be the church, your church in this time, to our, our neighbors and to our coworkers, to our family members, Um, And to our bosses, Father, we pray that you would give us words to say, that you would give us peace, that we would be peacemakers, that we would be uh, seekers after justice and and to glory you. Your glory would be um, what really preoccupies our mind and our motivations. So, Father, do what you want to do in and through our lives, and especially right now in this time as we open your word and seek your face. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 will be in verses 8 through 11. So short text. You can turn there. All right. Anybody here ever been caught with your hand in the cookie jar? Maybe you were growing up as a kid. And well, even just this past week, my wife um, got some peaches off the peach truck and and uh, she makes these amazing peach pies and uh, peach pound cake. And I went into the kitchen, and it smelled amazing. I had been smelling it for hours, and I could see in the corner this amazing, beautiful, great-smelling peach pound cake. And I looked to my right, and I looked to my left, and I made it to the corner. And right as I put my head down, I hear this, what are you doing? You know, as I'm trying to grab a piece of this, this peach pound cake. Maybe you've been, you've been caught, something, caught doing something you shouldn't do. Or maybe you've been caught saying something you shouldn't say. 
or caught in maybe one of those little white lies, right? Uh, we, we've all done it. We've all been there. We've all made mistakes. The Bible actually says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, so that's kind of a level playing field for all of us. All of us mess up. That's just a part of life. It's a part of being human. And, and really, that's the reason that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for us. Because he knew we couldn't live up to a perfect standard that a perfect God holds. So, so we've all dealt with this, we've all struggled, we've all messed up, and that's where this scripture kind of comes in. This idea about repentance. The, the word repentance in scripture comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means that you see what you've done and you see that it's wrong. It's kind of looking back on things and, you know, how we say sometimes hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We look back and we're like, that's wrong. I really shouldn't have done that. And a lot of times it happens that we go through something, we look back at it, we're experiencing consequences for some of the mistakes we've made or, or sins we've committed, right? And those consequences make us look back and see that. So this, this idea of repentance is an idea of change. And a lot of times where we get mixed up is as we talk about repentance, we, we hear these words or we think the words, I'm sorry, but what we see in Scripture here today, and really what we're going to look at, is that what we're going to find is that, that repentance scripturally, biblically, is, is so much more than I'm sorry. In fact, as, as I've done counseling for people and talked with people, uh, I've had this question asked me many times. They, they'll say, Matt, I know that we've worked on our marriage, we've gone through counseling, we've worked out, you know, we've, we've said the words of repentance and forgiveness to one another um, but how do I know, how do I know my spouse is truly repentant? I mean, sure, it means change, I get that, and, and I might see some change, but how, what is the gauge? Where do we, where does, where does true repentance show itself? What, is there any way that we can gauge that? That's what we're going to find in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 8 through 11, the markings of a truly repentant person, and um, it's really powerful. So, Let's look at this. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 8 through 11 says this. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. You might want to underline, circle that. You felt a godly grief, that's a key word there, godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. Now that's a key right there. Godly grief that leads to salvation without regrets. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Two different types of grief we see here. Foresee for what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to, to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, and what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. All right, so... 
God's word for us today. What we get here is, is a, a couple things right up front is that there's two different kinds of grief. One part, part of grief leads to eternal life. It leads to salvation. It's good. It's godly grief. Our hearts are, it's amazing. This is the good thing. But then there's this, this kind of, of secretive grief, this kind of wearing a mask, not truly good grief. It's, it's a bad grief, it's worldly grief, and it leads to death. It's, it's, it's like this bad, really terrible thing. But what I found is that sometimes they're hard to differentiate. Sometimes when you see both of these things, it's really hard to figure out what the real deal is. And I think that's why Paul gives us here some really clear measuring points here. But the first filling in your notes today is this, is that repentance is the fruit of godly grief, and some translations, your translation may say sorrow, godly sorrow, godly grief, godly sorrow. There are two types, there's two types of grief that we see, and look at verses 9 and 10, we see the difference between the two, that one leads to freedom in life, the other leads to, to imprisonment and death. Now, this, this scripture right here is, is where I get a phrase, you've probably heard me say a hundred times. And it's this, is that we will only find freedom from sin to the extent that our hearts are grieved by our sin. We will only find freedom from sin to the extent that our hearts are grieved by our sin. Now, when I say that, I'm talking about godly grief, not worldly grief. This is that, that fruit of godly sorrow that our hearts breaking with how I've sinned against God that I've actually thought that my way was better than God's, that, that it's, it's not about my consequences, it's not about the, the suffering I'm going through now because of what I've done, but rather I'm looking back and saying, I, that was a direct sin against a holy and perfect God. It was, it was a sin against my creator. Sure, we've sinned against other people and our sin affects other people, but foundationally, primarily, Underneath all that is that it is a sin against God. It makes me remember a story in Scripture about a really famous uh, person in the Bible, King David. Are we familiar with King David? King David was an awesome guy. The Bible actually says that he was a man after God's own heart. It doesn't say that about many guys in Scripture. So David's like way up there, right? But there was this time in David's life where he wasn't doing really well. Uh, he was, his men were off to war, and as he's home in the castle, he's out on you know, a pavilion or whatever. He's looking out and over the city, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba bathing. And he does some really terrible things. He has her come to him. He has an affair with her. He tries to cover up. She gets pregnant. He tries to cover it up. Um, he calls her husband home, and, and he says, hey, you know, I know you've been off to war. You should go be with your wife. Take, take some family time, right? And um, he's thinking, you know, he'll cover up his sin this way. And, and this guy says to him, I'm, listen, I am faithful. I am not going to go home to my wife while my men are dying out on the battlefield. I will stand guard here with you. I will stand at, at your door and guard you, my king. And David's like, oh, no, this is terrible. I'm not going to be able to cover up this sin. So he covers it up this way. He sends him to his death. 
sends him to the front lines. I mean, so we, here we go from adulterer to murderer, right? It's like snowballing. And this is kind of how sin is, right? It just, one sin leads to another. One lie catches up, you know, us up in another and it just snowballs. And next thing you know, it's this huge avalanche and you're in this mess. And that's where David's in this mess. So God sends this prophet to David. And this prophet goes to David and tells him this horrific story about a terrible man. I mean, it's a terrible, and David's like, you know, he's just like, Tell me who this guy is. I'm going to take him out. You know, tell me who this guy is. And the prophet says, it's you. God sees your sin. Now, I, I tell that story in a really brief way, a paraphrased way to say this. is What catches us and what we should notice is David's response to being called out for sin. And David says, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, Bathsheba's husband that you killed, sent off to his death. Your people who trusted you and you betrayed Bathsheba who came and you put her in an impossible situation. You betrayed her in that way. I mean, the list goes on and on and on that David, the people that you, David sinned against. But David gets it. David got it and we need to get it is that our sin is first and foremost against a holy and perfect God. Now, sure, our sins have consequences, and they, they cut to the heart of our spouse. They cut to the heart of our kids, and it, it's, it's just horrible for the people that we sin against, right? But foundationally, underneath all of that, primarily, our sin is against God. That's where we start. That's where repentance starts. That's where godly sorrow, godly grief actually begins. When we recognize what sin truly is against God. Now we see here in verse 11 a bunch of principles or fruits of godly sorrow or godly grief. We're going to spend a lot of time here in verse 11. So, so just hang out here with me. The second fill-in in your notes is this, is that Repentance produces earnestness. This is earnestness towards righteousness. Pursuing God's way, not my own. Running away from sin and toward God's better, loving, and perfect plan. When we come to the recognition of our sin in our hearts, broken by that sin, it causes us to want God's way. It makes me want God's way. I go from wanting my own way, thinking that I can work out my own life, that, that my plan is great. I've got all of this lined out. I mean, I went through high school, did really well. I had planned out to go to college. That went great. I had planned my first job. I'm doing awesome. I am a rock star at planning and life. Therefore, I don't need God. And we go on and we make all these plans and we find ourselves empty. We find ourselves in trouble. And we say, you know what? God has a better way. God has a better way for your life. This is earnestness is a recognizing of God's better way. It's the recognition of the pain and suffering sin has caused, has produced, and it's an energy and diligence to move or run away from it. The second one we see in verse 11 is that repentance produces eagerness to clear yourself. Eagerness to clear yourself. This is a desire to not be known for the sinful past we had, but rather be known for the forgiveness 
and truth that we have found in Jesus. This makes me remember the story of the woman at the well. Do you remember that story in John chapter 4? If you don't remember the story, check it out this afternoon when you go home. Write that down, John chapter 4. This woman at the well. Jesus is at this well at the heat of the day, and he's there, and he wants to get a drink of water. He should be there alone because nobody goes to the well in the heat of the day to draw water. They usually do it in the morning, the cool mornings or evenings. But there's a woman there at the well, and, and, and Jesus breaks all the rules here, man. Like all these rules that have been set up for hundreds of years, Jesus is about to break all these rules. It's kind of funny. If we could have been there in person and seen what, it, what transpired. But anyways, this woman's at the well, and Jesus, um, she's a Gentile woman, so Jesus shouldn't speak to her or talk to her. But Jesus says, will you draw me some water? Would you give me a drink? Okay, that is like hugely wrong and offensive in so many ways in that culture, just so we know that's going on. But, but he asked for a drink of water from her, and they have this conversation, right? And uh, she challenges him, and he says some things, and he kind of prophesies to her, and he says, you know, you've been with a lot of men. And in fact, the man you're staying with right now isn't even your husband. And she goes, oh, sir, I can see you're a prophet, right? And he goes, no, 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 I am much more than that. And he talks about, hey, if you, those who come to me, they'll, they'll have water, living water. They will thirst no more. And he just breaks down her idea of religion and tells her that he's the Messiah and says it's about relationship with me. She finds forgiveness and she finds salvation in Christ face to face right then. Now, what I want to point out about this scripture is what happens next. She runs. The Bible says she runs back to her village. And, she, and this is a woman obviously well-known for her, you know, not great life, right? She runs back to her village and she says, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. I met the Messiah, this guy. My sins are forgiven. I, I am a completely different person. You've got to come meet this guy. You've got to come meet this Jesus. This is amazing. He told me. He told me, you know, all the stuff that you've seen me do. He told me he doesn't even know me, but he told me about all those things. And he says I can find forgiveness and I can find this living water and this eternal life. You've got to know about this Jesus. Come meet this guy. That's what the Bible is talking about right here. It's an eagerness to clear yourself, this, this idea that it's not that I'm an amazing person and that I'm going to be perfect from this point forward. No, it's about this eagerness to say, listen, I'm a sinner just like you. My life's a mess just like your life, but Jesus is perfect and powerful, and he's come to me, and he says, there's forgiveness, Matt. There's hope now. You can turn from your sin and you can come with me right now. I'm going to give you living water. You're never going to be thirsty. You're never going to be hungry. You're never going to be searching for purpose and mission anymore. I have it all for you right here. Find forgiveness in Christ. And we go and tell everybody. <laughs> we, and you, we can't help it. Just like this woman at the well. I mean, just think if this story ended and she's like, thanks, appreciate it. I'm just going to get some water. That's not, that's not what forgiveness looks like. When we recognize true forgiveness at the foot of the cross and we see the cost that was paid for my forgiveness, that it was my sin that held him on the cross. When we recognize that, my forgiveness and the past sins 
in my life. My testimony isn't about my past sins. My testimony is about the powerful, miraculous work of a saving Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. He's the star of our testimony, and we're eager to tell everyone about him. Number four, repentance produces indignation. That's a big word, isn't it? Indignation. It means anger, ire, rage, fury, wrath. It's an intense emotional state induced by displeasure. I thought that was really interesting in Webster's Dictionary. That it's, produced by, it's induced by displeasure. Think about that. Most sin gets us to sin because of the pleasure that it offers. Right? I think it was Ravi Zacharias that said, uh, you pay the price for godly pleasure beforehand. You pay the price for sinful pleasure afterwards. And at this, this is this displeasure. I, lo- I love how Di- Webster's Dictionary said, said that. This is what the Bible refers to as righteous indignation or holy anger. It's indignation, displeasure, towards our sin, that our sin would make us sick. That as I look at the sin in my life, it just makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me angry about how it has brought shame to the Lord's name and his people. Not about what it has done to me, not just about what it's done to me, but what it's done to God's holy name and his people. What I once found pleasurable, what I really enjoyed is now displeasurable because I've experienced the bitter, nasty, sufferable fruits of it. I am literally sick to my stomach when I see it, when I hear about it, or when I know it's going on. It is completely and utterly detestable to me. Righteous indignation and indignation towards the sins that held us captive. But now we have freedom from because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he has made. Now we're talking about repentance, right? These are the fruits of repentance. Who's still with me on this? There's a lot here, isn't there? You know, we hear the word repentance and we just think, oh, I'm sorry. You know, we we go to our spouse or we go to the person we've wronged and we just say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Okay, great. And we just move on. This seems like a whole lot more than that, doesn't it? This is, this is really where it gets down to the nuts and bolts, the reality of true change, true repentance. The fourth one is this. Repentance produces fear. Fear. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. But there is a point here, according to the Scripture, that when our eyes are opened to our sin, we would recognize that sin as sin against God, who is in the end, now get this, in the end is our judge. Let's do a little theology here. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He stands outside of time. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. He already knows it. Every mistake you'll make, he's not going to stand up there and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. That's not how God reacts. He already knows. He knows the mistakes you're going to make. He is all-powerful, all-powerful or omnipotent. That means he can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. 
The Bible says that he's not just our creator, he's not the creator of life, but he's the actual sustainer of life. That every breath that I breathe, every step that I take, everything that I do is dependent upon God's grace and mercy in allowing me to do it. That he actually sustains our lives. Now, here's a really good one. He loves you. Like, God really loves you. I mean, he loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for your and my sin. That is great news. That is phenomenal. I mean, he's all powerful. He's outside of time. He knows everything. And he loves you. And he loves you so much that he would send his only son to die for you. That's great. But we can't leave out this one. He's our judge. God loves justice. And what kind of just God would allow sinners just to go off and do whatever they want to do? No, God is our judge. And one day we will be held accountable for the sins that we've committed. In front of, face to face with, the one who created and sustains us. God is our judge. But that's why. That's why he sent his only son Jesus to die for our sins. Before, you may be here today and not have a relationship with Jesus. And I want to plead with you to give your life to Christ, to repent like we're talking about, that you would would have a change in your heart that God can only do, and that you would give your life to him, that you would submit your will to his will and come under his leadership, that you would look to his word for guidance and and that his Holy Spirit would, would move and change in your heart as you read this book and that it would change your life. If you don't know him, surrender to Christ right now. Find true repentance in him. If that is you, give your life to Jesus. But this fear is a recognition, a recognition that God is powerful. That God is amazing. And it's, it, there's, a, there's a part of fear where you're shaking in your boots, right? There is a part of that. But this fear, when the Bible talks about this kind of fear, it's more like a sense of awe. More like this, this understanding has been opened up. You know, like your eyes have been opened and you're just like, wow. Are you kidding me? That's God? This is me? That's God? <laughs> right? It's this, this shift in our mind that just, it just melts. My brain is melted. That's what the Bible's talking about here, this fruit of fear. It's a, a fruit of the Holy Spirit's work of repentance in our lives. The fifth one is this. Repentance produces longing. Longing. This could be translated as vehement desire for the brokenness that our sin has caused in our relationships to be restored. We serve a God that is about restoration. We serve a God who is about redemption. We see it all throughout Scripture. From the very beginning, God creates humanity. And from the very beginning, humanity blows it. So from Genesis 1 to Revelation, the very end, we have a beautiful love story of redemption and restoration where a creator God is coming to save his creation. God had a plan and God's made a way. 
In repentance, this fruit of repentance, our hearts coming into alignment with a God of restoration. Our hearts coming into alignment with a God that's about redemption. And we want to see it in our hearts and in our lives now. We say, God, I see my sin. I see the brokenness that's caused in my relationship. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I have to go through or suffering I have to take. I am ready to see restoration happen. I don't care what the consequences are, God. I want to see restoration happen. Do something in me. Give me this longing. Number six, repentance produces zeal. Zeal means that we would hate our sin to the extent that we love God. This is a good one. That we would hate our sin to the extent that we love God. I am just infatuated with God. My heart is consumed. There is, I can't learn enough. I can't grow enough. I can't worship enough. I can't pray enough. I can't read his word enough. I got to have more and more and more of him in my life. I love it. It is, we just find the Bible and we find truth and we find church and we find other believers and conversations that we have about the truth. We just find it as life. It's a very life. I mean, I get into conversations with other Christians and I'm energized. And I'm I'm just so excited, this zeal that I have. The last fruit is this, and it's everybody's favorite word, punishment, (laughs) right? We we all just love a good punishment, right? (laughs) I know this is, that's a hard one. Uh, Actually, this word punishment could be translated vindication. Interesting, right? And it is vindication for those we have wronged. For those we have wronged. What repentance produces is selflessness. Sin produces pride and selfishness. Repentance produces humility and selflessness. We see it in the picture of Christ that he humbled himself and became a man. He was obedient to God the Father and humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. What humility, what selfishness do we see in the person of Jesus Christ? True repentance and the fruits of repentance see us in our hearts changing and coming into more alignment with Christ. Punishment. I, I don't care. I don't care the cost. Whatever needs to happen to make what I've done right, I'm ready to walk through that. Humbly, selflessly, for the glory of God and the good of others. I lay my life at your feet. It is total submission to God. It is Christianity 101 lived out. As I was talking to those who are here that may not know the Lord, and I was saying, using the words that you submit your will to His, that's what this means. God, I submit to your will, not my own. So, what does it look like? What does true repentance look like? It's so much more than I'm sorry. 
And you know what? For decades or centuries, I don't know how long, we've made repentance, I'm sorry. All along, God's word has said, no, no, no. It is so much more. Are we earnest? Are we earnest? Are we eager to clear ourselves and point out the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we filled with indignation towards our sin and what we're turning from? Am I filled with fear and awe at the glory of God? my creator, sustainer, and judge? Do I have a longing or vehement desire to see this wrong righted, to see restoration happen? Is there a zeal in me to run after God, to lay down my life, to see him glorified? Do I want to see vindication for those I've wronged? Am I willing to walk out the consequences and punishment that come alongside? Am I willing to lay down my will, submit to his? Is humility working its way out in my life? These are the measuring, measuring sticks for true repentance. Here's what we know about repentance too. God's word tells us that God grants repentance. That true biblical repentance cannot happen apart from the power of God the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. So here's what I would challenge you with today is ask God to grant repentance. Like I said earlier, you know, it's, it's not a matter of as if I've sinned. That's not the question I'm asking you. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what we do when we sin and after we've sinned. Can do we want to do what the Bible teaches? Do we want to walk after his word and his truth? These are the measuring things and what God's given us. Let's walk these things out with and for one another. Amen? Now, my intention today was to go through um, forgiveness because it's, I really view repentance and forgiveness as one coin, two sides of one coin. Um, but we don't have time for that, so I'm going to hit it next week. We'll talk about forgiveness. So, Make sure you tune in for next week for the forgiveness part and come back next week as we talk about what biblical forgiveness looks like alongside biblical repentance. Let me pray for you as we get ready to sing our closing song. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray right now that you would grant repentance in my heart, that you would reveal sin in my life. God, I know it's there and, and pride blinds us to our own blindness. It blinds us to the sins in our life. So I pray for humility and your grace that I would see. Help me be uh, a, a good representative of your grace and mercy. Make me a repentant and selfless, humble man. And God, I pray for everyone here, God, that you would grant repentance to us. God, I pray for healing to happen in marriages, healing to happen in families. Humility would happen in the deepest of relationships, that you would give each couple here and, and friends that are here and family members here, that you would give them courage to walk out and pray the hard prayer. Pray the hard prayer of humility. Pray the hard prayer of repentance and that you would grant it, Father. We pray for healing in relationships and healing in marriages for your glory and for our good. We submit our will to yours and we say have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we sing our closing song today.